Now then. Hello, it is me, Ronald, and we are back with another episode of the Aroma Japan podcast. I am joined tonight by my co-host, Hannah. Hello, happy 2022. 2022, we made it. So, um... Even though it is now 2022, we are going to go back for a moment to 2021 because the way our things are set up, December happens and we still want to give it its own episode, even though we kind of covered most of, not most, but some bits of December in the year in podcast, which we were thankful enough to have special guests join us, Patrick St. Michael, Saint-Michel, however you want to say it, and Roe. So yes, great episode. Thank you again for coming, you two guys. Great guys. Um, yeah. But also, but also, like, one thing I really want to say is that, like, when I was, like, reading, like, thinking about that episode and, like, looking at their list or whatever, I really do, like, sometimes some people would think that just, like, oh, I don't want anyone else doing what I do because, like, it's competition for me. And, like, I don't look at it that way. I look at it as kind of just, like, a community and, like, the more the merrier, varied mm-hmm. voices varied experiences varied opinions and like i like that so that's just like a thought i had after like listening to that episode again and like seeing like their year and stuff it's also really interesting because when you think about it all of the people who write the most about japanese music we all have very different opinions yeah right when you compare, say, like, Rose, like, top 100 idol list to my top 100 idol list, it's actually very different. And there are definitely other people who are very, very active on, like, the idol Twitter student. And when you ask them for their opinions, all of our lists are very different. And in a way, that makes it really fun because we have such different opinions, Right. We can see what's really popping on a different side of the J-pop spectrum without Mm -hmm. having to check it ourselves, which is quite honestly, like it makes my life easier. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But um, going back to 2020, 2020, 2021, 2022, like cusp moment, um, Hannah, did you watch Kohaku? I actually didn't. I did watch some of the lives, but not Every year, Anna uh, says t- she's gonna watch it, and then she doesn't. So, like, I mean, this is the one year where I was like, maybe, and I was like, nah. So, um, Fisher's Kohaku. A lot of people. The big thing going to Kohaku was that people were just like, um, there were no big hits this year. So, like, what should we do? Like, how are we gonna get people to watch? And in the end, they it's didn't get people that to watch. Say that. It's what? fun. Okay, so let's let's start with the first half of that statement. There weren't any big hits this year. I mean, sure, there wasn't like Make You Happy or Dynamite, but there's or like Yoru ni Kakeru, but there were definitely big hits last year. Yeah, I think the thing is though is that I think my perspective sometimes can be a bit skewed because like I'm the person that's like doing the charts every week and I'm just like this song has sold this much, which means it's comparable to this song. But then, like, some people are kind of just like, that's not the same thing. I'm like, okay. But um, let's just get the flop part out of the way. Let's just go ahead and just bite it. Okay, so the show was a flop. It had a rating of 34.3%, which is still really good. Still really good, because, like, like 
pretty much nothing can get that kind of viewership besides Kohaku. But being that it is Kohaku, it's always going to be compared to like what it was like 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago when it was like the only game in town, but now it's not the only game in town. So it was 34.3% for last year's edition. The year before that, it was 6%. So it was a, it's been going down in the viewing and the ratings for years. It got a bump last year, as in like the 2020 version of Kohaku, probably because of the fact that just like people were a lot more scared of COVID then than they are now. Mm-hmm. So they're less inclined to like stay home and like watch Kohaku. But, um, but what do they do? This is the big question because they were talking about just like there's going to be no hits, there's no hits this year. But the thing is, though, is that mm. they, they ended up getting a lot of like very public friendly, such as just like, um, public friendly be someone like. Masaharu Fukuyama, Amisha, uh, but even like younger acts too, like a Yoasobi and like a Fujikaze. So they got like more like public friendly acts, both for older people and younger people. But then they also got very like fandom friendly acts. Like the main reason yeah. why I watched this year was Snowman. Um, I mean, there's that, but there's also like Mafu Mafu for like the um the otaku's. But Mafu Mafu Millennium Parade, they they got you, right? That was that mm-hmm. was pretty big. But there it were didn't a bunch work. of things. Like I Do personally think... really enjoyed the show, but it just but no one wanted to watch it apparently. I mean, I wouldn't call it like it didn't work though. They got fish. They really I tried this year. Say, I wouldn't say, okay, so let's be honest. Taiga dramas this year barely broke 19%. Morning dramas do not break 20% anymore. And, like, we're talking about a day and age where even radio programs are done over the internet, right? Like, if you follow my Twitter, you might have noticed that lately I've been, like, begging people for how they listen to Japanese radio overseas. Like, Vodiko is an amazing program. You can only use it in Japan, though. But that's literally how digitized our society is, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. everything has a VOD. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like that is now the new reality. That, like, you're not going to get 50% of people watching a TV program anymore. First of all, because there's so many things. Yeah. Like, they literally are only counting people who are sitting in front of a TV watching it. They're not counting people who are maybe, like, like we were doing and illegally live-streaming it. They're not counting people who maybe are, like, just, like, doing, like, a DVR and just, like, recording it from watching it later. They're not doing people who are just, like... The big thing, I think, is that if people want to watch Kohaku, they're only watching it for a couple of acts. And like I said to some other people when the ratings came out. I was like, if you're a snowman fan, are you really going to sit there and wait four hours for them to come on? No, you're going to yeah, watch it's just like a very play. different... Yeah, it's a very different, different, like, time period now. Because, like, the way that 
this is this just shows how different things are like me not even living in japan and me just like dealing with just like social media like we used to like have to wait days over the past like 20 years or so we used to have to wait days for like kohaku to like pop up on like a torrent site and then like download it and then it became like oh someone's uploading it on like daily motion or like billy billy or something like that but now we're literally to the point and this is exactly what japanese people are doing now where they wait for like a twitter account that uploads music shows to say like oh here is a snowman performance and you watch the entire performance in that one video clip because like a lot of like international fans follows accounts but those accounts are ones that are started by japanese people for japanese people and so it's just like mm -hmm. that's how japanese people are watching these shows now because the snowman performance on that twitter account has like 175,000 views and let's also be honest like there's just so much more that you can watch now right mm -hmm. like i was watching okay so to be frank i was also staying up that night, but I was literally watching like my VTuber Kohakus, right? Them counting down the minutes until it was midnight their time. And I was switching back and forth between the VTuber countdowns that I was watching and literally like AKB Live. And then there's the Momoiro Clover Kohaku. Yeah, there's just like a lot. There's a there's so many more options than usual. Because like one of the things that's happened like and this has happened for years now, but like something that's become even bigger is that acts that used to be on Kohaku, they're like, oh, you don't invite me anymore. Fine, I'll just like go and team up a streaming go service. Go make my own. My own. Yeah. So like Momo Euro Clover Z did that, and they invited. Who did they invite to their Kohaku? I mean, theirs was pretty like a very stacked one. So they always get stuff like Popipa. Uh, they had Uma Musume this year, right? And there's just a lot of fandom acts on theirs. I mean, they even did like K-pop covers because Twice wasn't on Kohaku, right? But it's mm -hmm. not just them. Like AKB does a bunch of stuff. Um, I mean, quite frankly, let's admit it, K-pop is huge now in Japan. So... There's probably not a few people watching a bunch of, like, the Korean countdown shows now. All of which are very accessible in Japan. Not to mention, like, every single Abema program that you can do. So, and like this isn't even talking one. about... Yeah, there's the LTH one, but there's also, like, let's talk about the big elephant in the room. The Don't Laugh Challenge, the Downtown Challenge, that mm -hmm. one... That one's also that one also gets like fifteen percent views every year. Like, it's just one of those things where I think it really needs to be addressed. That like, there's just Time so many fixed. options now. Yeah, it's we're not back in the day where there's like only three TV channels. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's a mixture of like. It's not that people are not watching Kohaku. I mean, like, given there are less people watching it than when there was three TV channels and it had, like, 75% viewership. But the thing is, though, is that this idea that nobody is watching Kohaku, it's still the biggest show in the country. But the other thing, too, is that people are watching it, but they're watching it in their own ways. They're DVRing it. They're watching just a clip of just, like, their faves. And then, like, the other thing, too, is that people who are not watching it, there's so many more options now. 
It just and, begs the question of like why they haven't gone the NBC, SBS, like KBS route of like as soon as a segment is done, why don't why they don't just upload it to their NHK YouTube? So the thing is though is I think they do do that with their Twitter account and I think they read I think they I say think because like they region block it I'm pretty sure because I follow the NHK Kohaku account and I think they region block it because I see like them posting a performance that says this content is not available due to your geographical region. So they post a clip on Twitter and then they like delete it. I remember a few years ago they actually were posting Kohaku on YouTube on an NHK account like officially and then they deleted it after a day. Which to me is so odd. It's so odd. Like, this is actually one of the one of the times that I would be like, let's get with the times. Like, even my grandmother uses YouTube. My grandmother, uh, for what it's worth, is literally a hundred years old this year. She just turned a hundred, like last month. So is she? Yeah, like she's on the Smucker's jar. Whoa. Is she? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, we're trying to get her. So for those of you who are overseas, America has a very, very large, like, uh, morning talk show called the Today Show. And there's a segment called the Smucker's Jar segment where Al Roker introduces like a bunch of people who are 100 years old plus, right? Or like very, very old. And it's their birthday. So I've been like trying to figure out how to get her on the Smucker's Jar. But this is very important because... She technically is like 20 years older than the average age of your average Anka viewer. Right. Mm-hmm. If she knows how to use YouTube, everyone knows how to use YouTube. Oh, and just FYI, she's also illiterate. Um, so this is another thing. <laughs> but I remember this reminds me of something now that someone said in the comments on Arama when they said the show was a flop. They were just like, if you're an Inca viewer, there's like a better show on another channel that shows Inca that you can just watch all your Inca on. Yeah. Like, they're just like, there's just other like options. Utakon, like right? No, it's like a, it's like a year end special. That's like very uh-huh. big on, Inca, I think like on NTV or some other channel, but like, it's not like a, mm. it's not like a countdown, like a new year's Eve countdown, but it's kind of just like, it's still like, that's like the big Inca show now where they have everyone on. But the thing is though, is that like, who is Kohaku for? Ideally for everybody. Who is it for in reality? Like who is actually sitting on their couch and watching it? I mean, it's definitely for a time period when like everyone used to go back home, right? Quote unquote, like you would go back to your family for New Year's and you needed to play something that was just like family appropriate. And so that's why it, you know, Kohaku was a good option. Mm-hmm. But, you like, know, how many people are doing that now? Um, this actually reminds me of someone that, a group of people that Tim said actually watches every music show and does the exact same thing that I do. Um, the Japanese gays. They, like, literally <laughs> sit and watch the show and just, like, bullshit tweet about it about how much like they hate it or like oh that was nice or just like oh my god she looks horrible or like her singing um who was the one they were always going on about about her being like a drunk auntie um was it Hirome Kose I think that's who it was 
but they were just like she became like a meme because she was always drunk well she acted like she was drunk but the thing is though is that like even like internationally like a lot of people don't want to watch it and a lot of people that do want to watch it they watch it because like they want to see like one or two main acts or they're like me where they watch it just to like shit on it so and it's just, it's just like, 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 I don't know. Times have changed. Times have really changed. Mm-hmm. But, like, what do they do to actually, like... Well, that's a hard question because they really did do everything this year. It's just that times have changed and they can't really get those viewers back. It's like you can't shut down all 15 of the other options, right? Mm -hmm. How do you realistically do that? You just don't. And I think it is worth saying that, like, you know, 30% in this day and age is is not bad. It's It's a great number. You know what the most hilarious thing I saw when the ratings came out was? What? AKB fans being just like, this is karma for dropping them. And I'm just like, huh? Oh, God. Those are definitely the the fans that came back after Eyes One. And I'm just like, get out. (laughs) I'm like, in what world is AKB boosting the ratings in 2021? Nowhere. I mean, if this was was the golden era where... AKB was pulling in 30% for Sosenkyo, maybe. And people are just like, well, they should just like get rid of all the Inca singers and just make it like a whole like a hit. But they have. And I'm like, just how like, many Inca singers are even still on? Uh, um, Tendo Yoshimi, um, Ishikawa Sayori, um, Kikawa Kiyoshi, Yamaguchi Kesuke. You mean, like, the people who literally, like, turn it up to 11 for the show, okay, right? Was Mizumori Kaori on this year? I don't even remember. I don't remember. But, like, honestly, like, you can't kick those people off. They're part of the spectacle. Basically, it's just, like, we need to have the spectacle after we, like, banned, um... Kobayashi Sachiko a couple years ago. We need the spectacle still. And I guess that's what Kichan is for. But, and then other people are kind of just like, well, maybe it would do better if they got rid of all the idols. And I'm like, oh, that would not work. If you ban Johnny's from Kohaku, those are probably like, that right there is going to drop you like another 5% probably. Only 5%. I'm pretty sure Johnny's hands are like at least 7%. And then you kick off all the female idols and you're done. It's just like because some people complain about it being an idol festival and there being so many Johnny's. But the thing is, though, is that like if you do like Johnny's and you like multiple acts, it actually is like a good show for you to watch. Like spacing the Johnny's out actually is a good idea because it gets Johnny's fans to watch. But like, like you said, it gets I Johnny's fans to watch everything, right? Yeah. And like you said, that's I thought it was like five percent, but you're saying it's like closer to ten percent. But then you yeah, pick up like, like seven to ten percent. Like just think about it, right? Who is the person who is consistently waiting for the next Johnny's act to show up? Right. It just like for me, it kind of paints a picture of just like 
of just like this thing that we've talked about before, how like basically like when do we go and declare the general public for music to be dead? I actually would argue it's been that dead. it's been dead for decades. I know this is a little bit controversial, right? But decades. I actually put a time on you have to put a time stamp on that. Yeah, because okay, so back when there were three channels, right, in any country, there was a mainstream, mm-hmm. right? But there hasn't been three channels in any country, in any OECD country, since the 1980s. I'm talking mm-hmm. about literally the early 1980s. Since then, this idea of normalcy did not exist, does not exist, right? Normal mm-hmm. according to what? Normal according to whom? I mean, I think the thing is, is that people like think of something normal. They think of just like, oh, everyone's heard lemon or koi. I mean, everyone's also heard of like, by now, given radio plays and everything, everyone's also heard of butter, but that doesn't make it mainstream. Right? Everyone knows let it go. Everyone knows like, uh, everyone knows close, like koi pseudo fortune cookie, but like, is that really quote unquote normal or is that just the largest percentage wise that you can get with any mm. one cut? Huh. Okay. You have a point. But the thing is, though, is that like basically you can't kick off Inca because you get rid of the old people who are watching. You can't kick off all the idols because you get rid of the idol fans that are watching. And then who are you left with? Literally, the people who only get invited because they had the biggest acts of the year, right? No, I'm talking about as far as, like, viewers. Like, what percentage of the viewers are you left with? No, I'm saying that, like, okay, so Enka gives you your justification for watching it with your grandparents, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're you're literally stuck at your grandma's house and you need something to watch. Like, you've just lost all those people. because now. There's no Ishikawa Sayuri for your grandmother to watch, right? There's no idol fans for the teenagers. Like, the only people who are left remaining are the people who are there for the biggest hits of the year, right? And there's no way in hell they're getting rid of those. What percentage of people would you say that is? Like, viewers? I have no idea. I actually think that's probably, like, the swing amount every year for, like, how truly big the hits were, but. Okay. Well, this is a good time for us to segue into the actual show. Now that we got the flop part out of the way. Um, obviously I was most excited for snowman. Um, because this was their official debut on Kohaku. Um, because last year they were supposed to debut, but one of the members, um, Royal Miyadate, he, came down with COVID in December, a couple days before they were supposed to be on Kohaku the first time. And then so they had to go and pause their activities and they did not make their Kohaku debut last year, 2020, I mean, but they made it this year and they sang DD, which was their debut single, which was what they were supposed to do in 2020, but they did in 2021. So 
They were very excited to be on the show. And the funny thing is that the day that we're doing this is um, January 20th, which is interesting because this all is very timely, us talking about this, because the episode of Songs that looks back on Kohaku last year, 2021, I mean, it aired today. And the host of Kohaku is also the host of Songs, Ozomi Yo. And he was, like, asking them just, like, how does it feel to actually, like, be here and actually like you are actually going to go on the show this year and they're like oh my god like this is amazing and today we also got the announcement that Ryota has COVID again as does two other members of the group um Hoji Mukai and Raul so you now have one third of the group that's now infected with COVID and yeah, so it's timely that we were speaking about this today. So I enjoyed their performance. I thought it was really good. Um, Fujikaze, Fujikaze was good. Like I'm glad that he came on. That they got him on. He was initially going. He initially was not going to be on, but they got him on like later on. Um, he did his first song, and it looked like he was supposed to be like in his basement in like Okayama Prefecture at his parents' house. But then he appeared on stage and he did another song. And then he appeared later at the end of the show. He performed um, with Misha because she did Higher Love, which is the song that he wrote for her. And he played the piano and sang along with her while she sang the song. So I did like his performance. I like Misha's performance. I really actually, you know what? I will admit, Hannah, I had never heard um, the Bell song before. Are you serious? I had never heard it. And I actually was just like, I actually like this song. I mean, it's also what King knew, though. Like, his better stuff. Millennium Parade. Yeah. So I did like that song. But speaking of Suneta Daiki from King New and Millennium Parade, I also was looking forward to the Stones' performance because they performed his song that he gave to them, Mascara, um, how that many was King New songs were on the show too? Yeah, because they had Millennium Parade and Bell, and then they had the Stone song. Yeah, he had the Stone oh. song. So he and had King two New songs. Wasn't on, on right? He wasn't on. It would have been like, really it, funny if he was on too, because then it would be like three. That would have been like overload he would have had like two two performances but then again thinking of that now like why did yosopi perform three times like why that did yosopi have their really... they performed during the anime segment they performed their own song and then they perform like with their kids group and i'm like stop it no one cares about your knockoff foreign like they were a flop no one cares go away I guess Kohaku is like the one time they reliably will be on TV. And so in a way, people actually do care. I'm just trying to think of other... People hated the flowers on the stage. Like all the flowers, I thought it was really nice. Um, what else did I like? I liked the Generations performance because I liked the song um, Make Me Better. It was like my number 10 of the year. So like, of course, I was going like, to look forward to that. Um... I didn't really care for the Tokyo GM performance. I was like, eh, eh, I could have lived without it. I mean, what is it with Sheena and performing on TV? She has a tendency to not do very well on TV. No, it wasn't that, it wasn't that the performance was bad. It was kind of just like, I just didn't 
like I wasn't excited for it. I was just like, eh. No, but, but like, I, I actually think it was like just kind of low energy. <laughs> I didn't I mean, you've seen her live. There's such a heaven and hell difference between her like doing her own thing and her on a TV show. Her on a actually, TV show, that, she sucks. Actually, I would say there's a difference between her alone in Tokyo GN, which I'm definitely more into her solo than with them. I mean, considering I completely dropped her as soon as she was part of Tokyo Jihen. Like, sorry, Jihen fans, but I I agree. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think of like, oh, Seiko didn't go because of she's still mourning. For very understandable so, reasons. Rightfully so, mourning the death of her daughter, Sayaka. So she declined her invitation. Um, I'm trying to think of like any other performances. It's just one of those things where, like, I feel like, I mean, okay, so let's let's be honest. Kohaku, very, very high production value. They do a lot of things very, very well. And so it's all, like, very nice. It's just, there was nothing that was very surprising, right? Like, I watched the Bish performance. I really liked it. Everyone else hated it because they were just like, oh... I hate the singing, and I'm like, well, it's supposed to be punk. Whatever, get out. But, like, it's it's just more of, like, this is exactly... This is no more and no less than exactly what I expect. I can see that. Um, I oh, think the I only year where I was actually... The only years where I was actually surprised by what was happening on Kohaku were literally the two years where AKB caused like a huge shitstorm. Three years, oh, three years. God, that was just like a mess. I don't really think it was a mess. It was like so it was the girl that one, was retiring on stage, right? There was one, yeah, where Oshima Yuko was it said at the end of her performance, like, you know, thank you for having me on Kohaku. I'm finally graduating. And people got really mad at her. Um, there was the second one where for Takamina's graduation, they had the surprise performances by the people who had graduated already. And a lot of people really liked that. And then there was the voting one. What what was the was the one where 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 Oshima was that who you said it was? Mm-hmm. Was that the one that people like, got really pissed about because like she kind of like went and like upstaged um I completely forgot his name the guy that had been on Kohaku like fifty times and was like in his eighties is that the one where she like upstaged his like final performance by like saying she's graduating and like people were pissed about it? I think. It was because I think he was going all the way at the end and she was like, oh, I'm graduating. Like she just said that as an offhand comment. Right. And the producers of NHK absolutely knew what the hell was going on. Right. Because they gave the green light to do a song that AKB hadn't performed in like four years. Right. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of like they all knew this was happening. But I guess the public got mad. Um, 
I liked the King and Prince performance because it had my catchphrase of this year and every year, which is, do you remember what it is, Hannah? Can we be happy? Can we be happy? Um, and, oh, what did you think of, um, I felt so, I will say this as far as Kohaku, I felt so like, um, is the word justified? I felt so, I don't know if the word is justified, but the fact that like, for the second year in a row, like Misha closed the show and I'm just like, yeah, all you people that try to cancel me this summer. Yeah. I'm right. Yeah. <laughs> I had that little moment. I was like, yeah. I'm still here. So is she and her braids. Um, oh my God. The absolute worst part of the show. The absolute worst part of the show. And this actually leads us to our next segment. The absolute worst part of the show. Like, I had a friend who, like, dabbles in J-pop still after, like, all these years. And he was just like, what the fuck was that? Fish. What was that? Because the past couple of days, there's been, like, this kind of, like, little just, like, fan war on Twitter. And people were just like, J-pop singers don't post, don't sing live. And people are posting all these videos. And then someone said, J-pop's, J-pop idols, even though they shouldn't sing live, their mic is always on. And I posted the Bish performance and people were just like, yeah, prime example. Okay, but like, first off, that's literally because you don't like Ina, the end's voice, right? Yeah, yeah, and second yeah. Of- yeah, yeah. Oh God. Okay, so that's not how she what she sounds like, first off. And second of all. Can you do an impersonation, please? No. Um, I refuse. Because I don't smoke like 150 cigarettes a day. Thanks. I like Does my she? voice. She she has the husky type akina type voice it's at a lot lower and she strains it because it's a type of punk screamo yeah because i'm just like when you when you first mentioned akina i was just gonna just like uh akina's kind of like oh and this girl's not that Well, it's because Akina sings within, like, a two-note range, right? She stays in her lane. No, she doesn't stay in her lane. It's because she doesn't, like, she's not trying to be punk. Mm -hmm. And I would definitely say, like, Bish is not a good example of what? A good example of what? It's not a good example of like what I would use. Um, oh, well, I would either I was, show. I was like showing a bad example. That was my point. People were agreeing with it. No, no I'm I, saying that like I don't think that's a bad example. What do you think is I a bad think- example? No, because I actually think, like, Bish was singing exactly how they're supposed to sing. They're not supposed to sing well. It's supposed to be, like, a punk aesthetic, 
a true punk aesthetic is you don't play your instruments and the singing is completely off key. So what would be a good example then, would you say? Um, probably AKB48's like theater stages. I heard mm. them one singing like 365 days and I wanted to die. Well, speaking of things dying, fish is dying. Hannah, <laughs> would you like to explain? Because I don't even follow a lot of like female idol fans, but like for some reason this was like all over my timeline when it was announced. Hannah, would you care to explain? As our so, fan. Bish obviously got formed as soon as Bish disbanded. And like honestly, because they had one second. Sorry about that. Um, so because they had a terrible reputation, Bish actually was very, like, much the front group for all of WAC today. Mostly because they had the strongest economic contracts, so their lineup was the most stable. People who do not know who WAC is... Can you name a couple of their groups besides the one that everyone knows, which is anal sex penis? I mean, now anal sex penis is ASP and their songs are actually really good. So you should go listen to them. But there's ass, there's gang parade, there's like this Kenkyukai, and then there's like um, Empire and a bunch of other ones, right? Isn't there one called like Go to Bed? Go to the beds, pigs, uh, Mamishiba Taigun. Oh, those are the girls that jumped in the air and then fell down when they lost record of the year or newcomer of the year. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So for those who do not know, back at the Japan Record Awards in 2020, they were nominated for Best New Artist. And when they announced that they had not won... When they announced the actual winner and it wasn't them, one of the girls jumped into the air and fell down onto the stage. And then the next thing you see is them presenting, is um the announcers presenting the winner. And you see the other girls carrying the girl that has passed out off stage in the background. Yep. So and it's just um, like they they're known for being over the top, right? So we knew. As soon as Bish got in, we were like, oh, something's up, right? So first off, when they got in, they wore a costume where the girls literally were in the colors that were meant to be, like, a Tenga reference. Mm-hmm. What is if a Tenga you don't know, Go Tell Google us. it. Just... It's NSFW. I'm gonna be blunt. I'm gonna be blunt. Okay, when they went and did the newcomer press conference for Kohaku, it looked like they had it looked like their costumes were giant penises. Yeah, exactly. It was like a red costume with a giant white penis on it, like it, like a <laughs> like a, a not a no. Actual... It was a giant. It was a giant white costume with a red penis, and like oh, it was the inverse. red penis was supposed to look like a Tenga machine. 
For those who do not know, a Tenga is a male masturbatory toy. Um, so I actually kind of get the reason why they disbanded. Cause I actually, when I read it, it made sense because basically they were just like, we've hit our peak performing at Kohaku. What else do we have to do? Why should we continue? And it's also just like, I'm actually really surprised they made it this long. Right. Like this literally could not go three months without somebody graduating. <laughs> right. Uh, Watanabe, like Jinnosuke, is notorious for having the worst temper in the world. He's actually been caught on camera, like, literally punching people and, like, hitting them with papers. Is this the from owner time of to time. Yeah, the owner of WAC. And, like, the rest of WAC is not that much better. Like, I actually remember seeing the graduation photo book for BIS because I was just more really curious and I'm like, this is actually like softcore porn. Like they forced the girls to make out and everything. So and, question for you. Mm -hmm. So BIS, was that the one that poor Louis was in? Yeah. So was whack was whack whack then or were they on a different name? It was I mean that like the the group behind them would turn into whack. Whack didn't exist yet. So for those who you you guys probably re listeners readers you guys probably one of like when the whole like anti idol train was like revving up and like it was like the big thing like about a mm, less than a decade ago. What year would you say like 2013, 2014? 2013, yeah. So one of the big things that like made people like like kind of like netizens and like some readers back then be like, oh no, this is not what we want was poor Louis from this was basically like was she kind of like threatened with expulsion if she didn't lose weight? Yep, she was. And like it was just very ironic because this was turning out to be like the worst thing in existence. For, and then she didn't like, lose the weight. And then they made a yeah. they recorded her being like chastised for not losing weight. And she was like crying and like moaning in pain, mental anguish. Yeah. And it was just, I don't know, like a lot of people like this and their leader groups like Whack and Bish and stuff because of how like anti idol they were. And I was just like, I don't. I've always had like a worry relationship with them also because I think they really normalize the rhetoric of like killing idols is acceptable. And we all know where that went. Right. It's just, um, it's a, it's very surprising that like fish land lasted this long, mostly because I mean, there's a reason why people graduate so fast out of whack. Like their turnover is crazy. Is it? And it seems like the company's full of mental abuse. I wouldn't know if I would go to the extent of calling it like super abusive, but there's general there is a lot of evidence to suggest that like 
he does lose his shit like every day. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is just that like it is a struggle. It's very hard. Like the entire thing is super hard. So are you sad about this 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 fish banding? I tried to make a pun there and it didn't really work out, did it? So are you sad, Hannah? No. Literally the first thing that uh the first thing that I said was like, okay, now do Watanabe. <laughs> I would be so much happier if Watanabe just like fucking left the company. Hmm. So we now go to our next year in show, which is the Japan Record Awards. Again, Hannah, did you watch? Nope. I never watch these things. Yeah, Hannah never watches anything, but um, this year was interesting because they actually got the winners right for once. For once, they actually like got it right. I was, I knew it was, I watched part of it, and I knew the way things were gonna go when they gave Macaroni and Pitsu best new artist. So macaroni, but you know why macaroni and pizza? Why did they win? Did they give them a cake? Did they pay them off? Why did they win? No, it's because Hello Project didn't have a debut this year. Well, okay, okay, we'll take that into consideration. But um, so macaroni and pizza, they actually won the award over Eni which is shocking because that's like the second generation produce Japan group. Um, Keiko, which is like Avex's new diva that they just bothered to start promoting in the past month, even though she debuted several months ago. And Mochizuki Ruka, who's an Inca singer. Um, so yeah, Macaroni and Pitsu won. And the thing I found really interesting about this is that this is a band. They've been around for a while. People are like, why are they winning now? They've been around for a while. But actually, they just had their major debut a couple of months earlier. And the thing I found the most interesting was that their song, Nandemonayo, actually was number one on streaming a couple of days. Like the chart that came out a couple of like days before the show, they were actually number one on streaming. So I'm like, you guys really got this right. There is a argument to be made that, like, after they got nominated, people were like, "Who are these people?" And I will say the song was already rising before they were, before that came out. Oh, as in, like, it was synergistic, right? Where it was rising, they were like, because gotta, apparently they, they were also um, the JR Ski Ski song this year. Yes. So it's kind of like a lot of things are just moving in the right direction for them. 
it feels like another Fujikaze moment where I can tell, oh, they're being pushed, but like, I hope it's a little bit less aggressive. Shut up, up, Hannah. A little bit less aggressive this time, please. I am going to get aggressive with you if you stop. Yo, Fujikaze was pushed in my face like 50 times over and over again for three months in a row. I have every right to complain. And not just by me, she will note. No, I'm not saying like it was you. I'm saying like by Japanese entertainment, literally, I would turn on my my Kanjam and they would be like, this dude is a genius. And I'm like, stop. Stop! Stop it right now! And then then he comes on, and he's just like, he does his MC, and he's like, hey, y'all, this is Fushikaze. I'm from Okayama Prefecture. Because Tim, Tim, Tim noted, Tim noted, he was just like, he was like, why does he do all of his MCs in English? And why is he always, like, thanking God? Like, Japanese artists don't thank God when they win something. It's like he's doing an impersonation of an American artist. I was like, I just thought his that his English sounded like he was like a a, a stoner surfer from California. No, but like stoner surfers from California don't think God either. True. I just imagine like Fujikaze like saying cool cats. And, and hey, you know, this is Fujikaze. I'm from Okoyama Prefecture. I got a song for all you cool cats. So, but like that would require some, some intelligence and research on his part. I think he's very intelligent and I think he does a lot of research actually. I think he's very good at sucking up to people. Oh, (laughs) oh my God. I mean, like. This is taking into, taking into consideration the fact that like. You know, his songs are really good. I'm just also very bitter that he's pushed as, like, the next best thing since sliced bread. So who would you prefer be pushed? Because no, I'm not saying that, like, the push is wrong. I'm not saying that, like, the push is wrong. I'm just saying, like, it's getting really excessive. Okay, going back to Japan Record Awards, which is something he was not nominated for, so he wasn't pushed there. Um, mm-hmm. The winner of the Grand Prix went to the Ice's song Citrus. So they beat out songs by Daichi Miura, AKB48, Awesome City Club, Junretsu, The Pomp, Niju, Hikawa Kiyoshi, Nogizaka46, and Lisa. So what did you think of their win, Hannah? The Ice of Citrus is very odd. It's I'm a choice. Like, you think so? It's a choice. I mean, everything is a choice. So this is a choice. I mean, like, I mean, like, they didn't go with like the shore thing or the safe thing or like the legacy name, like. Like, what would have been the safe thing? Wasurena, Awesome City Club. You think so? Yeah. 
that's like the safest choice. Oh, because that was really, really high this year, right? Yeah, they got their Kohaku debut off of that. It was one of the biggest mm-hmm. songs of the year. That's like the safe choice. That's the thing that everyone thought going in was going to win. It's it is like, true oh, that that should have been. Because people were like, oh, the actual hit from out of this list. But um, the ice, like, maybe they'll gain some traction off of this. I mean, like, I do like their voices, the two of them that do sing. Um, I don't know. It just seems like it just, like, I don't have anything against them, but it's kind of just like. It's a very random choice. I mean, like, it did, because, like, me and Tim had this discussion, and he was just, like, talking about, like, oh, I heard someone, like, mention the ice in, like, a drama. And, like, they said they were singing at a karaoke in this drama. And I was, like, they were, like, is it a hit song? And I'm just, like, I don't consider it a hit. Um, It's kind of, like, one of those, like, slow burners. Because, like, I will say for a fact, I never saw it in the top ten of any chart. But apparently it was, like, always, like, in the lower half of the top 20 for, like, a long time. So I'm just, like, if you're in the lower half of the top 20 for months and you never make it to the top ten, are you really a hit? I would consider it like a slow burn then, right? That's that's still a mini hit. It's like a slow first degree burn. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like you touch the. It's like kind of like you touch the stove too quickly, and your finger your finger like gets red for a second. That's what the ice is. That song, yeah. I mean, Wasserena is probably just like. You need a bandage. And I guess something like Koi is just like you died. Yeah. Well, Wasarana would definitely be like stitches, right? Or like Humura would be a bandage. Mm, maybe. Okay, enough with the burn analogies. <laughs> um, so... Our next topic is um, people got mad about the charts, the year-end charts. And then so I feel like we've already discussed the year-end charts like enough in a way. Especially on the last episode, yeah. Yeah, I feel like we discussed it enough in a way. So basically, there are so many different chart systems that it's kind of just like, what you look at like do you look at billboard do you look at oricon like what do you look at like the way i'm looking at the chart now is that there's something here for everybody if you like mail if you like mail acts there's something here for everybody but the thing i find the most interesting is not so much the year and I do find the year in charts interesting because we already discussed that. But my thing that I want to talk about this episode is Spotify doing getting the information of what Japanese music was doing well overseas. And it's an interesting list. Because, well, one thing since it's streaming, we have to cut out Johnny's, unfortunately. So that's like a big part of like the Oricon 
charged. That's a big part of that that's like automatically disqualified. So this is going to be Hannah's time to shine because the thing is, though, as everyone knows, um, basically this list is heavily Anna song. So, and I'm pretty let- sure that even with Johnny's, he would still be all Annie song. Mm. Now we so outnumber let- you guys like 50 to 1. Let me pull out this list. So, the top. Most played Japanese artists overseas. Number one, Yoasobi, Lisa, Eve, Sawano Hiroyuki, Linked Horizon, Hisaishi Joe, Radwimps, Wanoke Rock, Takayan, Yonezu Kinchi. The top 10 most played songs. Okay, so this is where actually it does overlap a bit because Eve's Kai Kai Kitan actually did do well in Japan in the year in charts. And um, Lisa also did well, although not mm, nearly as well as Eve. Yes, but also it was with Hamura rather than Gurenge. So, like, international fans, you guys are a year behind. Catch up. No, they just really, really like Gurenge. I mean, they definitely like Hamura. Like, when we were walking around the convention, I heard it everywhere. But Gurenge is, like, the clear favorite. Funny enough, you know what I heard at the convention? What? V6 superpowers. Oh, that's true. Okay, going back to the top. I wasn't listening out for it. All I hear is just like I heard I heard yeah, Mm yeah. I heard I heard Miyaki Ken like like his like voice, and I was like, oh, they're playing V6. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Just try to justify it that way, okay. Um, so let me finish reading the top 10 songs. So two was Lisa's Gurenge. Three was Yosobi's Yoroni Kakeru. Four was TK from Ling Toisite Suguri's Unravel. Five was Link Horizon's Shinzo Sasageo. Six was the, like, ultimate, the ultimate Japanese international song overseas. The number one song of the 2010s internationally. That was released from Japan, and that would be Hannah. Do you know the teriyaki? This is my moment. Um, teriyaki voice, Tokyo Drift, Fast and Furious. That is like a public song. That is like the only song on here that is not a weeb song. Because like once it gets hot, people start playing that song and blasting it from their cars, like randos. Um, going back into Weebland, Vicky Blanca, Black Catcher, Kanaboon, Silhouette, Inki Monogakari, Bluebird, and Yoasobi's Kaibutsu. And the countries that listen to anime-related music the most, number one, United States, two, Indonesia, three, Mexico, four, the Philippines, five, Canada, six, France, seven, United Kingdom, and then rounding at the top ten, Germany, Brazil, and Taiwan. Spotify is stepping on thin ice with this list. Number 10. I'm like, I mean, they're never gonna, they're never gonna try to sell to China. China. Yeah. So they don't, I was like, 
I was typing out the list and I was just like, Taiwan? A multinational corporation is actually recognizing Taiwan? Oh, 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 oh. that's something. So, um, seeing as how in 2020, I went to three of these countries, well, two, I went to two of the countries. I live in another one of them. Um, I did see like some presence in these countries. Yeah. Actually, when I went, I, I think I remember I told you when I was in Mexico and I went to that Japanese restaurant, they were playing like Misha's Aino Katachi. And I was just like, this is the most random song I've ever heard in a Japanese restaurant. Because my big thing is that when I go to Japanese restaurants in the US, I never hear Japanese music. And the one time I did, it was like Southern All Stars. But like recently, I have been hearing more Japanese music in restaurants in the US. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Thank you, Spotify, for pl- having a playlist. But I think the funniest thing is when like you mention the song to the staff who are Japanese and they're just like, I don't know what this is. And then you feel like a huge dork. Because you are a dork. I'm like, oh, Fujikaze, Kiyari. And they're like, I don't know what this is. I'm just playing the Spotify list, man. <laughs> I'm just here so I get paid. But, um, Hannah, what did you think of this list besides it being outdated? First I actually all, well, don't think. Kana Boon silhouette. Okay, okay. So, hear me out. Inki Monogakari Bluebird. Like, what year am I in? So, here's the thing there are so many people listening to Annie's song and stuff overseas that if you want to hit this list, you have to you have to be part of an anime that like literally dominates. It can't just be a minor hit, right? Slowborn hits do not exist here. I wish sometimes they would add in like the number of plays because I'm pretty sure the number of plays for all of these is like in the tens of millions for overseas, I mean. Right? I'm just like why are they behind? It's not so much that they're behind. It's that they're the other songs from this year that were opening songs of this year just don't have enough plays to get onto that list. That's the problem. When did Eve's Kaikaki Tan come out? Like 2020, right? Eve's? Let like me check, even, but I'm pretty sure... Yosobi are, like, the only ones... I'm looking at this, even Yosobi, I'm like, oh, these are, like, the actual incidents where Japan and the international fans actually, like, No, Kaikai Kitan is from 2021. Oh, so number one was a song from this year. So, like, explain, yeah. Hannah. No, it's because Jujutsu Kaisen is considered, like, the successor. I think it's 2020 or something. Uh, second half of 2020, but like Jujutsu Kaisen is considered like the next Demon Slayer. I consider oh. it a super boring anime, but it was so big that um, in the first month of 2021, it was the most watched anime 
internationally inclusive of Japan by number of hours watched. Um, topping even Demon Slayer. And then, like, in the first five months of being uploaded to YouTube, it had, like, 100 million views or whatever. There were just a lot of things going for it, right? Like, Jujutsu Kaisen is super, super popular. So France is considered kind of, like, the bellwether curve for anything, like, manga-related popular. And in France, I mean, Naruto is still, like, the number one bestseller, but number two, not by a very, very long shot, was actually Jujutsu Kaisen. So I would say that it's less that the list is outdated and more that... um. In order to get onto this list, you had to be part of, like, a Demon Slayer-level hit anime. So, my question is, this new anime, what is it called? Jujutsu Kai? Jujutsu Kaisen. It Jujutsu is Kaisen. super boring. Do you think that Northwest and the rest of Kanye West and Kim Kardashian's kids are watching it? Like they did yes. Demon Slayer? Absolutely. Um, so, to give you an example, right? Attack on Titan... Linked Horizons, like, the reason why Linked Horizon is on that list is because of Attack on Titan, I think. Yeah. Right? Yes. And um, it's really funny because, like, I follow a lot of, like, think tank heads and, like, politicos. And I heard them talking about Attack on Titan. I was like, I expect my wee friends to tell me that Attack on Titan is ending. I do not expect you to tell me. You, Mr. Person that I literally follow for, like, takes on, like, what Xi Jinping will do next year in the Politburo. Like, he started talking about Attack on Titan, and I was like, what, what, whose man is this? Right? Oh, my God. And he wasn't that watching it. Mm-hmm. You know what that reminds me of? That ad that that one Republican congressman put out where they made AOC yeah. Titan and he was just like, he's like, this is not a threat to her. This is, this is anime. This is Japanese arts. This is one of the most famous anime in Japan. Attack on Titan. What's the Japanese name? I forgot it. What is like, it called? Shingeki no Kyojin or something? Yeah. And he was just, just like, like, I was like, like, is happening right now yeah that that's what I'm I mean. a political like, ad that is literally the level of hit that you need to be that you can that you are so famous that a politician in another country would use you in a political attack <laughs> or like nancy pelosi years... like ocasio cortez like as the titans attacking and yeah. he must save the town or like fifteen years ago, fifteen years from now, you're gonna have like a Michael B. Jordan, uh, proposing to a coach that they should do a collaboration using your your IP. That has to be the level of hit that you are. So, can you explain the love of Yosobi? Yosobi is slightly different. Because Yuasobi, I would say, was a weird combination of, like, meme virality, right? Because um, Yoru Kakeru 
the game was super popular. So there was a really, really popular like meme ad thing where like a bunch of people would play the beat map for Yoru ni Kakeru on Beat Saber in VR. And people just kept on watching it. And then people were like, oh, this song's really good. So it became viral there. It became viral on TikTok, right? Like, you guys have ever seen the meme, like, Japanese talking about throwing yourself off of a roof. Me, who has no idea what the song is about, just dancing super happy to it, like that meme. So it's part meme, part, like, it's all the Vocaloid fans just jumping on the train all at the same time. And so, like, mm-hmm. Vocaloid is actually pretty popular overseas, right? Uh, Twitter released its, like, top 10 most talked about games, and number two was the Vocaloid game, which was also released in the United States. So that is saying a lot. So there's just a lot going for them. And they have managed to get up there in a very legitimate way. So very good for them. Yeah, I remember like the other day, Oomph called themselves a USOB anti. And I'm like, you know what? I don't disagree with that. A USOB anti? Yeah, she called herself a USOB anti. And I was like, you know what? I don't mind that title. I, I, I'm just not interested. Sorry. It's just not my cup of tea. Oh, yeah. They're definitely not for you. They're not snack bar music. They're not happy enough. They're not, they're not optimistic. They're just like, just off yourself right now. And now we are going to go to a happy place, which is... Shani's Corner. Um, so... Before the year ended, Johnny's had a new venture, another YouTube channel. This one is called Johnny's Gaming Room. So instead of going and giving just one Johnny their own YouTube channel where they play video games, which they did with Heisei Jumps Ryosuke Yamada, they now have a game channel where multiple Johnnies are playing games. So they opened that and it's been doing well. Hannah actually doesn't mind this channel as much. Right, Hannah? Hmm. It's okay. It's okay. I'll accept it. So this is just this is just like another way of the company going and really utilizing YouTube and technology to make connections with the fans because um, the music's not on streaming. So the company is finding other ways to to appease the fans until whether or not they decide to get on streaming or not who knows but i encourage it because this way like you get other content that's good and um speaking of international fans 
they had a concert, a special concert called Johnny's Festival, which was on the 30th of December. And they actually sold tickets to international fans, which is something that they've been doing more of, like doing more like live stream events for international fans. Um, I did check out Johnny's Festival. I found it enjoyable. I found it enjoyable. It's different from Johnny's Countdown because it is... How do I describe it? It Johnny's Countdown can seem a bit chaotic at times. This was not chaotic. It was kind of just like a nice like family concert with all the different Johnny's. So it was like Johnny's Countdown, but less chaotic. I think I'll describe it as that. Um, I personally had a favorite segment, which was the like King and Prince and Snowman joint stage. So, yeah. And um, actually, I have a new appreciation for Johnny's West after watching it, too. Because I'm kind of just like, Hannah knows how I am with the Kansai Johnny's groups. I'm kind of like, why are you guys all comedy groups? I don't like comedy and music mixed together. It just sounds like it just sounds like novelty songs. I don't like the idea of comedy and music together in one. It's gonna be like one or the other, not together. So yeah, I watched that and that was nice. And then going to like the main thing, which we all watch. Not all of us, but like the other mainstream, not mainstream, what was I gonna say? Live stream. <laughs> um, Johnny's Countdown. Johnny's Countdown, right after Kohaku. Because like every year we watch Kohaku on Discord, and then like the the people watching Kohaku, it splits between those who want to watch Johnny's Countdown and those who want to watch CDTV. And like I didn't even watch CDTV this year. I just watched Johnny's Countdown. And it was nice. It was enjoyable. Um the funny thing is that this year they had different dream groups, they called them, like dream subgroups. So one was like the sexy five, and then one was like the princely five, and then there was like the Genki five, which is something I showed Hannah. Hannah, did you like the Genki five? I was just like, this is so lame. I I expect a lot more like stage energy and charisma for you and i'm just not feeling it what didn't you like about it it's just very like like it felt very dead dead how like they weren't like they weren't very they were trying their best to cheer up the crowd but the crowd was just like yay same reaction like 50 times in a row and i'm just like man this song sucks <laughs> because we recently had a discussion in one of our group chats about just like idle lives and i often get told by the group chat Raul, your perception of idols are skewed because you listen to Johnny's. And I'm yeah. like... And Johnny's literally has the shittiest lives. 
But the thing is, though, is that the Johnny's lives, I you, the lives you guys showed me and the Johnny's lives, I'm just like, I would much rather see the Johnny's live than like. Yeah, because you're very much a person who's just like there to sit in a chair and watch. Yes. I don't want like the gay tiger and like the Ulta gay and all that stuff. Like, like the thing of when I go to a concert, I literally like because me and Hannah have been to concerts together, and Hannah thinks that all the concerts that I've taken her to are fucking boring. So she, well, no, she, that's not true. Like, I liked Alexandros. Alexandros was pretty good. Actually, we've been to, we've been to more than two concerts then, but like you did not like Misha, and, you did not like Misha or Hoshino again. I liked. Hoshino Ken was fine, but it was also just kind of like, wow, that was a lot shorter than I expected. Because the one thing you said is just like, everyone is just standing here just watching and just clapping. Like, there's no, like, interaction. I was like, I don't want interaction during a concert with the artist. Like, the thing is, though, is that, like, if I went to a concert and someone next to me was, like, singing the whole time and, like, screaming and shouting and doing whatever, I would be like, listen, I paid money to see them, not you. Sit down and shut up. So that's why me and Hannah have different, um, different um, things that we like in lives. Because I but it's her. also just that, like, like you're okay with a live where everyone's just on their phones recording the entire thing, and I'm just like, man, like this is really fucking annoying. Well, it, it, it's different in Japan because, like, you, you can't just be on your phone the entire time. Here you can, yes. There you can, no. Um, but, like, I showed you, like, a Heisei Jump concert, like a clip, and you were just like, oh, they have, like, water stages and explosions, and, like, but there's no fan chants. The crowd is just, like, waving light sticks. And it's also just that screaming too during certain parts. It's also just that like like the the Misha concert and the Hoshino Gen concerts were okay, but it was also um very much a case of like I appreciated the live, but like it was very much due to the artist knowing how to engage the, the audience. Right. Mm-hmm. Alexandros, I actually thought was the best out of the three of them that we watched together. I didn't agree. But okay, we have different opinions. Like, which one would you say was the best? Uh, probably Misha. But then again, I think it's like biased because like I really like like Misha's like in my top ten most played artists. So I'm probably like very biased towards Misha. Yeah, I think, I think it's. But like Alexandros is more of like that punk vibe that you like. I think the thing is though is that it comes down what we talked about in that conversation was just like the whole like punkiness. Like, Johnny's is not punky. Johnny's is, like, orderly. And, like, I, I compared I compared 
a Johnny's concert to more of like a big pop show where it's kind of just like you have the pyrotechnics and like the different stages and like the different costume changes and like the water features and like all of that. You have like the drama. Okay, but if you were to ask me to choose between that, which is like very standard, it was like super standard pyrotechnics, super standard water, uh, water show, super standard lighting, right? Nothing about it was original. No one said this it was is like original. a perfume concert. No, I want I want something that only they can do. Okay. And that's what I am usually looking for in my lives, where I look at them and I'm just like, I want to see something where only this group of people could pull it off. But the thing is, it was that perfume. They weren't doing all the Volta Gay and all that stuff too. No, but I love perfume lives because, um, the way that they use the stage and their lighting and everything is something that is super creative and unique. I think that's just something that perfume has to do, though, because that is part of their persona. They didn't have to do that sort of that sort of lie from the first place, but they chose to do it because they understood that it creates a very dynamic and interesting show. Like Charity, for example, she does really, really great live shows. There's a reason why I keep on going to them, even though I haven't like until Candy Racer, I hadn't listen to her stuff in a while but i'll still go to her shows well there was one in july of 2019 you didn't go to well i skipped down on that yeah um like mflow was actually really really fun even though they don't have any calls at all mflow was amazing when i saw them when did you see them uh the year before 2019 2018 probably uh, OdaQuest did something as part of AX. Did you go to that in 2018? Yeah. I fell asleep during the first half, but then when Mflow came on, it was just completely different. Hmm. Okay. Who knows? Maybe will be something this year we can go to. Um, okay, so any other topics you would like to discuss before we go to favorites, Hannah? Now let's go and enter our favorites. Okay, ladies first. More. Well, we're, we need to, we need to address the elephant in the room, which is that. What elephant? The best album for me for the year was an album that was released in December and I broke oh. my own rule. I broke my own rule about not uh putting in stuff that was released recently because the recency bias really like hypes it up. But I'm sorry. Um I'm gonna break it again and say Night Tempo is God. <laughs> so um we are gonna do something a little different than we normally do for this because the thing is though is that we actually both have the same album for December, which is Night Tempo, Ladies in the City. <laughs> um, 
whenever I think of the title in my head, I always think of it as like a like a whisper. Like I think of just like Sex in the City, like ladies in the city. But it uh, does kind of feel that way. It feels like a very chill, chill, chill song. Yeah. So ladies in the city. So we talked a bit about this album in the last episode of the year and episode because like we didn't know this. I didn't know this, but like Patrick apparently is like night tempos like press man. I was just like Wait, really? Oh my god, were you not there when we were recording? No, I just thought he was he was like talking to them. No, he did like the official like interview for the album. Ooh. And like he handles like press for him or something like that. Wait, and we was, should talk about the the thing. And that's and that's when I said to Patrick, hey, can you like go and tell him to like come to New York? I wanna I wanna like talk to him about what 90s music he thinks is gonna pop. Oh yes, because oh, so you were awake during the conversation because the thing is I that was even though we are currently on the city pop train right now, and Night Tempo very much is a part of that city pop revival, Night Tempo is saying that the next thing is going to be Shibuya K. So, Night Tempo, Ladies in the City. Ladies in the City. Um, the album is very much based on, like, the bubble period. And it is about the lives of different women kind of just, like, making their way in the city during the bubble era. So, Hannah, what is the bubble era? I mean, the bubble era, everybody knows. Japan reached this, like, fantastic peak where literally there was a moment in which I think it was the Imperial Palace. The land that the Imperial Palace was mm-hmm. on was worth more than, like, the entirety of New York City or something. The entire state of California. Yeah. It was, like, some ridiculous amount. But anyways, um... I had, a co-worker. I had a co-worker mm-hmm. one time and he was just like, yeah, at my old job, I went to Japan in the 80s and like literally there were people waving like, I think he said like 10,000 yen bills. It was like a very high denomination. It ended up being like about 100 US dollars, whatever the bill was. I don't know, inflation, whatever. They were just like waving them in the air to get a taxi. So just imagine, it's like, like how like, China feels bill. now. Mm-hmm. Is how I would put it. It's the high that China is feeling now, and the high that Japan is always trying to catch again, which is why we are in a perpetual state of nostalgia. Well, no, it's because like the band. Okay, to be quite frank, like. The Bank of Japan really fucked up their response to uh, the recession, and that's why they're in this perpetual state of nostalgia. Yes, but the thing is, though, is that we're, I was saying more like because that was the peak of Japan, that that's the reason why they're like always looking back at that time. Because that was the peak. Um, ladies in the city. So the reason I like this album is because 
I always like an album that's very producer driven. I always like an album where it's kind of just like the producer There's a is story. The, yeah, where the album is the producer is the star of the album and he gets different guest vocalists. That's always like a, been like a very big thing of mine. Um, as you guys probably would have probably know already, I'm a very big Inflow fan. So like that is something that they did during their peak with the Love series. Um, also mm-hmm. another favorite album of mine from last year was Say Ho's Camp, which he did the same thing where it's like very producer driven because people talk about why Hag Twitter, back before I was excommunicated from Hag Twitter, they always talked about why is it that, like, we do not have, like, these big, larger-than-life soloists anymore. And I said, well, one reason is because of the fact that just, like, we don't have a big, huge producer anymore. Mm-hmm. They're all over in Idolland. Or they're all busy being guitarists in the band or something. Yeah. It's one like, or the other. Like, we don't have a TK to start, like, a new boom. Like, people thought Nakata was going to do that, but clearly he wasn't. He hasn't. I I would say he is, but um, not quite in the way that people wanted him to be. So, like, there are a lot of great producers in Japan. Like, we've discussed them, like, on this podcast several times. Like, I think Night Produce, I said Night Producer. I think Night Tempo is a great producer because clearly, like, on this, he's not just going and remixing. Like, he's known for doing remixes. But, like, on this, he's actually, like, producing. So, I think Night Tempo is great. I think um, another one that me and Hannah both love is Kinmochi Hidefume. Um, I love Seho. I think Tofu Beats is great. I think Stutz is great. I think there's like so many talented producers in Japan today. And I think the thing is, though, is that they're not interested in going and making this like star. I think they're more interested in like doing their own thing and working with people who they want to work with when they want to work with them and just making cool stuff. Yeah, I'd almost call them like producer creators. Yeah. Right? Where I think in a way it's become a lot more popularized and like you're gonna hate me for this because of Hatsune Miku because the entire thing about Hatsune Miku was that it was really like Hatsune is a it's an instrument right Hatsune is not a singer she's an instrument and everybody has always been very like very, very understanding that, like, she's an instrument and the true genius, the true creative genius is always the person in the back. And we all kind of knew this, right? So it really, like, glamorized the producer. But even before that, you have people like TK, right? Um, It was always very obvious in bands like X-Japan where... You know, it was one guy's vision and everybody else was just kind of tacking along. So I think... Well, well, I was thinking more, it comes from just like the the tradition of just being just like a hip-hop producer or like a electronic music producer rather than like Vocaloid. I think that's always been there, but with Vocaloid, like at least from the side of j-pop that i'm on like with vocaloid people like the character and the character design is very cute 
but the person that you elevated was the composer, like the producer behind the song. So that's the true creator. So why is Hatsune Miku still to do Coachella, but not the producer that like made the song? Oh, so when Hatsune Miku is billed to do Coachella, it's like a light show with the character. So that's why, what you're seeing. You're literally seeing a hologram show. So why bring her instead of bringing the producer? They actually do have separate producer concerts. But like, why is it that like she's still she's just the instrument? Why is the instrument being exalted about the producer? If you actually talk to Vocaloid fans, that's not the case. They'll actually say, like, I'm a fan of this producer. I'm a fan of that producer. And the two are considered very distinct. I think in the eyes of the public, they only know it as, like, Jess Hatsune Miku. But to the fans, it's a very different story. They don't view it as, like, it's all one Hatsune Miku. They view it as, like, and this is... Uh, this is this producer, and this is that producer, and this is that producer, right? It's actually listed under the producer names. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, going back to Ladies in the City. Um, I do like the fact that he like went and picked, because one of the things that Night Tempo is like known for doing is he's known for going and getting not necessarily reviving, but kind of just like going and finding these older female artists and kind of like bringing them to a new audience. And I feel like that's something that he did with this album. But at the same time, he also went and was able to go and bring like newer females and show them to a new audience as well. So in that way, it kind of like reminds me again of like the Inflow Love series in a way mm-hmm. where it was kind of just like they would go and get someone like Akikawada and then go and get someone like Emily, like getting old people and new people. So like, for example, on this album, someone old that they got was... Um, Bonnie Pink? Bonnie Pink, but like even going... Going back even further would be Nomiyamaki, who was mm-hmm. the vocalist for a lot of Pizzicato 5. Um, and then going for someone like a bit newer would be. Like Michi, uh, Michi Sugesayumi or like Takeuchi Miu. Yeah, or Oisaka Sumire, like someone like that. So it's like different generations of yeah. female vocalists on the album. And I found that to be interesting. So what did you find interesting about it? I mean, you've covered a lot of it, but I just also think that, like, it's the way that the stories all kind of, like, congeal together, right? We were having this discussion about, like, what makes an album an album? And in a way, there's, like, a very unified vision of all the songs, to a degree that I would actually say is stronger than the love series, even though the love series, like I also really, really like it too. Um, there's a unifying idea and theme to every single one of the songs that makes it so that like listening to it in one sitting is a very different experience than listening to each of the songs individually. 
Mm -hmm. So I would say like that is probably the only thing that you didn't mention. Otherwise, it's exactly the same. I I very much like when I was doing my year and I was like I was very close to putting it as my number one, but I was just like I don't want to do the recency bias, so like I put it at number two. Yeah, but it's been a month. It's been two months, almost two months, and what it's still... it have been like it have been like three weeks when we recorded the year. Yeah, episode. but still, like still, you know, mm-hmm. it's like recency it's... bias aside. It's pretty good. <laughs> then something else that we discussed too in the year and episode about this album was that you talked about wanting to see more like cross Asia collaborations. And here we have Night Tempo, who is a Korean producer working almost exclusively on this album, except for one song with Japanese vocalists. So there is that like that cross pollination there that you were saying, the saying that you wanted to see more of. And it's like, in a way, that could only really be done in a J-pop environment. I don't want to say in Japan, because I think you can produce J-pop anywhere. But, like, it's very much a product of J-pop, which is very cool. Why do you say that? Because there's so many references to past J-pop. And it feels... Like, it just fits perfectly within the J-pop, like, universe, right? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of intertextuality with, like, a bunch of other Japanese music that is very present in this album. Mm -hmm. That just makes it fit perfectly within a J-pop, like, universe context. I see, I see. Okay, well now, Hannah, it's time for your favorite song of December. So, okay, um, Hollow Life fans, turn off, turn off the sound for a bit. But I am going to admit, like, Hollow Life music kind of sucks. Um, usually because they Finally, don't you've seen the light. What? Finally, you've seen the light. What light? That. Don't listen to people on YouTube with filters on their face. I'm talking about their original music, not the covers. Oh, well, isn't it the same thing? Because it's kind of just like, instead of they're singing an original song, but it's still like a YouTuber with a filter on their face, right? No, but I'm saying that like, the, the original songs that they used to get were not the greatest because they couldn't really afford like good producers but i'm saying that now they can because they got taku inoue to do a bunch of songs so now i'm on the hollow life train and i've like never been a big fan of callie but she released a song with taku inoue called yonu yuna and it is amazing just like one of her weaknesses has been creating like a good beat for her music and this one just completely skips over it so yeah like go go listen to it it's great okay so i guess it's my turn and it should come as no surprise what my favorite song of december is um it would be 
snowman's secret touch. So, okay, so this song was one of the theme songs for the drama Keita Hatsukoi, which um, starred Ren Maguro from Snowman, along with Shunsuke Michieda from Naniwa Danshi, and their debut single, Ubu Love, was the other theme song for the drama. So um, the thing is, though, is that both of those songs were theme songs for ABL drama. So both of these songs, I find this interesting, is that thinking about this, both of these songs are actually like queer coded. Okay, but that's so messy. Okay, but it's true. They're theme songs for a BL drama. So there yeah, is a queer but aspect it's like, to both songs. There is a queer aspect to both songs, but you also know that given the legacy of the company, this is kind of messy. Okay. Um, I just found that to be interesting. It's cute. I find it interesting, and I just found it interesting that, like, now I'm just thinking of Dr. Thomas Baldinet or Baldinet or however he wants to say his name. I'm not sure exactly. And, like, because he's been talking a lot about... he he's, he's, a, he's a doctor, a sociologist, I guess you could say, that, like, deals with a lot of, like, queer things, such as, like... Um, queer fandom and like BL and things like that. So like when Kieta Hatsukoi was announced, he was very excited because he was just like, it's the biggest idol company in Japan actually going and doing BL stuff now. So which brings us back to um, Secret Touch. I like Secret Touch. I think of Secret Touch as like kind of just like a touching nostalgic winter ballad. There's like this like nostalgic feel. It's like a warm hug. That's how I describe Secret Touch. Um, yeah, I just generally like it just has a cozy feeling and it was released in December and it's just like it's like the queer aspect and I'm just like, "Oh, I like this." And like I like Ren's parts in it because he's like Ren's parts, they're kind of just like very like yearning for this boy basically and i remember like reading because apparently like on jweb which is like the johnny's like it's kind of like johnny's social media but you have to pay for access to it where like they do their journal entries or whatever and i remember like someone saying on twitter before they performed the song, I think it was before they performed the song on Music Station, that, like, Rin wrote that when I performed Secret Touch today, I was actually thinking of my characters yearning for Shinsuke's character in the drama, and I wanted to go and embody that yearning in my performance of the song today. And I'm like, that's interesting. So. Yes. That is my favorite song for December. I it's like just Hannah, a... I feel like Hannah has something to say. It's... It's very... Like... It's almost... Disturbing... To see how much... 
Okay, so maybe disturbing is the wrong word, but I have a lot of friends who are into BO. I'm, like, constantly surrounded by it, and I do mm-hmm. think about it a lot. And honestly, there's both a upside and a downside to BO being so prevalent. On one hand, it is really good that, like, there is a lot more gay representation, but on the other hand, there's so much heteronormativity that kind of just, like, pervades BL that it's hard for me to wholeheartedly say, like, this is really good. So now you have me thinking of, again, Dr. Bowdnett and his book that we are currently reading, Regimes of Desire. Um, basically, for those who do not know, I think we may have discussed the book a little bit on the podcast before, but basically is a book that talks about, it's just like, it's a case study, basically, of four young Japanese gay men and their experiences with Japanese gay media about a decade ago, a little less than a decade ago. And so the thing is, so the thing that I found interesting is that one of the characters, he was introduced to BL. Oh my God. I literally screenshot that moment and sent it to my Fujoshi friends and was like, this is the most cringe moment. <laughs> so he was introduced to BL by his female, his straight female friends. And then he was introduced to gay komi, which is like gay, gay manga. He was introduced to that by his boyfriend that he met later on. And then so basically he still reads both, even though he's no longer with the guy because they had a horrible breakup. He dropped, he dumped the guy via text. The guy dumped him via text. So the thing is, though, is that what he said is that he, why the reason why he reads both. He reads both still, but he reads BL more because BL has a romantic aspect to it that gay Komi does not. And, like, even in that, I find that incredibly... I find it great that he's able to find fulfillment in both. But it's also incredibly, like, heteronormative and almost... I don't want to call it misogynistic, but I do want to call it patriarchal. That there's this separation. That, like, in order to be romantic, you have to be more effeminate. Right? There's there's this idealization that the emotional is female well i think that i think what plays into that too is the fact that just like bl is written by straight women for other straight women meanwhile gay komi is written by gay men for other gay men so like you have this like this like romantic yeah but that implies that the gay komi is not romantic at all a lot of gay komi is literally just like muscle men like ripping off each other's clothes and just like pounding each other okay but it was really funny because like that same dude also admitted to buying quote-unquote specialized uh bl by the way that that's literally just porn oh that's just doujin right like that stuff is not that i mean there is a little bit of romance to it but it's literally like a bunch of artists decided to take a bunch of characters that they like and draw porn. Hmm. So it's like femme gaze porn. It's uh, when they introduce the characters, like he, they talk oh. about um, 
they talk about how like the different buying patterns and they're just like oh like i can't find some of my my be all online and i'm like there's only one situation in which that happens mm. okay so it's only in print <laughs> that is a dojin so hannah any last words for this month so yeah if you if you guys haven't noticed you know please do read the book it's really great um I guess, like, you can probably link it in the show notes, too. But in case you haven't caught it, it's Regimes of Desire by Dr. Thomas Baldinet. It is a little bit pricey, but it is definitely worth the read. So do read it. And also, uh, last month, there was a Luxium debut. And it was really funny because I sent the debut song to... Ronald and I was like, I think you can identify exactly which Johnny song this oh, is. Oh, the Slap Sheena I... song. Yeah, yeah. So there is a VTuber group in English um, that debuted, and I was just like, uh, you know, your songs are okay. And then I heard the song, and I was completely blown off my rocker, because I was just like, what? Is this a Johnny's reference? And then I sent it to Ronald, and Ronald's like, yeah, this is the Smap Sheena Rinko song. And I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing. I haven't heard this song in, like, 18 years, because it's never going to be on streaming. Oh my god, Hannah, if you just watch a music show, like, like I say to you, like I post on the site every week. That would require some effort on my part. Hannah, Spotify's right there. Hannah is such an unsupportive friend, an unsupportive co-host. She does not, she doesn't even read my writing. Like I, I read it. I work so hard on my writing and Hannah doesn't even read it. But speaking of which, um, tomorrow this episode is out. Actually, you know what? Next couple of, actually, I wouldn't be surprised if it already is out, but I can actually go and publicly say this because by time that this podcast is available for listening my japan times interview with stones will be out so um next month's episode look forward to me talking about my interview with stones um so i guess that is it for december and look forward to january when we talk about that because there's not really a whole lot to talk about in January because it was kind of dead. Oh yeah. Or or as the thing that's already rearing its head, thing that's already rearing its head, and Patrick talked about this in his newsletter was um Omicron wave. Um, in his, in his newsletter, Patrick was just like Omicron wave, but like. Say it like how perfume sings Omicron wave, um, Polygon wave. And I was like, oh God. And today the wave really hit Johnny and Associates because like literally. And back it wasn't back- just Johnny's because a bunch of my stuff got canceled too. So I already talked about the three from Snowman, but on the same day, they also announced that um, Yuri Chinin and um, Kei Inu also are positive with COVID, and it is Kay's second time catching it. 
So, yeah, there wasn't a lot to talk about in January, but we will be talking about... But Utada's album. Yes, we will talk about Utada's album in the next episode. I feel like I feel like it's actually low-key a return to form. So, Utada's album... Low-key, low-key. This is my favorite album of theirs since God knows when. But we'll talk about that. That's we'll a, that's a preview that of next episode. In January episode next month. Um, so we are saying good night now. Um, Hannah has a ski trip that she has to go to, and I am going on vacation to a place for two weeks, and I will see yeah. you guys soon. When you get back, thank, thank you for listening, and good night. Good night, stay safe, everyone. Ah, not the stay safe.